Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Let's pray together. Father, in your presence today, we give you thanks for just the joy of entering into this Christmas season. And as we go through this season, God, what we wanted is we want to know Jesus more. And so, God, would you make Jesus known to us? God, as you make Jesus known to us, would you claim our loyalty? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does our family history say about us? Sometimes our family history says a great deal about us. A dear friend of mine explored his family history pretty deeply, and he found some interesting things. He found, first of all, an ancestor of his who came over from England in the early 1800s to be a missionary here in the United States. His ancestor came and started churches and connected churches, and was a missionary to Native American people. He's quite an ancestor. Another ancestor of his, though, was the single largest slaveholder in his state when the Civil War broke out. Now, is he defined by his missionary ancestor? By his slaveholding ancestor? By both? By neither. What does our family history say about us? What does Jesus's family history say about him? Well, one of the things that Jesus's family history says about him is that he is the focal point of his family history. We read Jesus's family history beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And Matthew 1, 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we read his family history. It says right there, it is the book of his genealogy, meaning that this is Jesus's family history. Interestingly, though, Jesus's family history begins with the patriarch Abraham. But this is not Abraham's genealogy. This isn't Abraham's family history. This is Jesus's family history. In fact, Jesus is the focal point of this. Craig Keener writes about what Matthew has written here. Matthew's point here is profound. So much is Jesus the focal point of history that his ancestors depend on him for their meaning. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' family history doesn't define him. It means that Jesus redefines his family history. In fact, it's only in Jesus that we fully understand the importance of the work of and the impact of all of his ancestors. Jesus is the focal point of his family history. 
We also learn in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, from the beginning, that Jesus is a king. In fact, Matthew 1, 1 begins again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is to say that Jesus is the Christ. Matthew wants us to know this from the beginning, meaning that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, which means that he is the king. And Matthew chapters 1 and 2 are explaining to us how Jesus is king and what it means that Jesus is king. And that's what we're going to study this Christmas. Jesus is king. What does that mean, and how is that true? And at the same time, we discover that Matthew chapter 1 is demonstrating to us that in Jesus, we get a new beginning. One more time, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word that we see here in our English Bibles is the genealogy, meaning it is his family history. It is really his origins, though. You see, the word genealogy is not wrong, but the word that's there in the original language implies so much more. The word in the original Greek is that this is the book of the Genesios, the, the Genesis, if you will. It's the same word from which we get the title of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is the Genesios of Jesus Christ, his origin, his, his Genesis, if you will. And Matthew chapter 1 is saying that in Jesus, we have a new genesis, a new beginning. There is a new beginning coming for the world, for history, and for us. This is the new genesis. This is the new beginning for you and me. You see, Jesus brings a new beginning in salvation. Jesus brings a new beginning in salvation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created the world. And when God created the world, God spoke the world into being. And in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God made a perfect world As we bridge from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of Genesis, we discover that God created humanity, us, in his image. And in Genesis chapter 2, we read that God made the world such that it would have everything in it that we would need. And in Genesis chapter 2, we read that God made a place for us to dwell that would be uniquely suited to us, and it was a place where we could see him face to face day by day. God created a perfect world. But the Bible also tells us that we ruined that perfect creation that God made. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that we human beings sinned. That is, we disobeyed God and we rebelled against him. When we disobeyed God, we broke everything. We broke ourselves. We broke creation. We broke our relationship with God. We broke everything. And as the pages of Scripture continue, as early as Genesis chapter 4, we see what the result is of living in a broken world. In Genesis chapter 4, we run into history's first murder. And what does it all add up to? 
We find out, beginning in Genesis chapter five, what it all adds up to. In Genesis chapter five, we find another book of generations. Genesis chapter five begins, this is the book of the generations of Adam, the first human being. Now, in the Old Testament, when we encounter a genealogy, a book of the generations, the idea is that everything that follows is going to tell us the impact of the person at the top of that genealogy. In fact, as we go through Genesis chapter 5, we see the results of Adam being in the world. It says that Adam had descendants, and his descendants had descendants. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 5 that Many generations of people came because of Adam. But genealogies in the Old Testament don't just tell us that we have descendants. It tells us what the impact of us being in the world is, the impact that our work has had, the impact that our descendants have had, the impact of our presence in creation. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read the impact of Adam and his descendants. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 tells us the result of humanity being in creation and sinning and disobeying God. Everything became wickedness. Wickedness was pervasive in the world. And God decided to begin in some ways again. God decided to send a flood to wipe out the wickedness that we have done. And the flood destroyed nearly everyone and everything in creation. But after the flood, we find that wickedness was still pervasive. It was growing. It was everywhere. And what does this tell us? tells us that we human beings are sinful. We are always going to choose sin. And it tells us that we human beings just can't obey God on our own. And it tells us that we can't save ourselves. Then as we come to Genesis chapter 12, we find God stepping in in a new and different way. God calls a man named Abraham. We studied Abraham's life earlier together this fall. Abraham started out as a pagan. He was not a worshiper of God. And God reached out to Abraham and called him. And God called Abraham to leave his old life behind and to come after God. And God made promises to Abraham. God promised to give Abraham a land, the land of Canaan. God promised to give Abraham descendants, to build Abraham's descendants, some of them into one single mighty nation. God promised to make Abraham actually the father of a multitude of nations. God said that through Abraham, there would come kings, a king. And God promised Abraham that through one of his descendants, one single offspring, all of the nations, all of the people groups on earth would be blessed. But please understand, God promised 
to do all of this by his power because humanity had proven that on our own, we'll never follow God and we never can save ourselves. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises that are made to Abraham. Jesus is that singular descendant, that singular offspring who is a king. He is that one through whom all the nations on earth would be blessed. That's why Jesus' genealogy includes the fact that he is the Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham, because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham that he would step in and save the world. And so there are 14 times three generations between Abraham and Jesus, and they are all pointing to and fulfilled in Jesus. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And what it tells us that Jesus represents a new beginning in salvation. The book of Genesis tells us something important, and that is that we have sinned and we have disobeyed God. And Genesis makes another point, and that point is that we cannot save ourselves. And Genesis shows us that it is only by God's power, by God's action in salvation, that we could ever be saved. Now, here's the simple truth about us. We start life not believing that truth. We start life believing that we can save ourselves and we spend a good portion of our lives trying to do so. Sometimes we try to save ourselves by being good enough and proving to God that we are worthy of him. But sometimes we try to save ourselves not by being good enough, but by just saying, God, you owe it to me. Because I was born, you owe salvation to me. I am that good. But at some point, we have to recognize that we cannot save ourselves. And when we recognize that we cannot save ourselves, we recognize that God must save us. And Jesus represents a new beginning in salvation to us. Jesus is God reaching out to save us. And when we finally come to the understanding that we cannot save ourselves, then Jesus is a new beginning in salvation. On top of that, Jesus brings a new beginning in history. Matthew actually gives us a way of understanding the history from Abraham to the time of Jesus, a schema, a plan that helps us to break that history down. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, we read that plan. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So Matthew organizes history into three fundamental chapters for us here. And as he does so, he's talking about periods in time where a struggle was going on, a profound problem had come into history. And he's showing us that Jesus brings a new beginning 
in each of those problems. In period one, Jesus brings righteousness in place of evil. Period one, as, he, as, as Matthew presents it to us, is the period of time between the life of Abraham and the life of King David. It's a period of history that begins with the descendants of Abraham. His family was growing. Things were going well sometimes because sometimes they went not well. And as the family grew, they ended up needing to move to Egypt to escape a famine. In Egypt, the family became a people. They continued to multiply and grow. And that people, the Hebrew people, became so numerous that the Egyptians were afraid of them and enslaved them for hundreds of years. Even as that people grew and suffered, they cried out to God for deliverance. And God delivered them by his own power in the Exodus, delivering them from slavery in Egypt and defeating the Egyptians. God brought them into the wilderness where they disobeyed him and wandered. God brought them into the promised land and helped them to conquer the promised land. And and everyone recognized at that point that God was their true king. The Bible tells us that they struggled to obey God. They longed for a human king to represent God to them and to lead them in right directions, but there was no king during this period. And the Bible says that as this period continued, everyone began doing what seemed right in their own eyes, and everything was headed toward chaos and toward evil. But then God sent them a king, David, who led them toward God and toward righteousness. And in a similar way, Matthew is telling us that Jesus represents that good and true king, that king who leads us away from the chaos and the sin, the brokenness and the evil that is natural to us. And Jesus leads us toward righteousness and toward the will of God. He is the true king. Matthew says the second period in in Israel's history, the history of God's people, is the period from King David to the Babylonian exile. It's a period where we see atonement needing to replace judgment because you see, as King David's descendants continued, you've got the history of the period of the kings of first Israel combined and then of Israel and Judah separately. The line of David continued in the kings of Judah. And as the kings of Israel and Judah reigned, Some of them obeyed God and were righteous. Some of them kind of obeyed God, kind of didn't obey God. And some of them, many of them, were downright wicked. And the Bible tells us that consistently God's people would follow the kings where they led. And when the kings led away from God, which they frequently did, God's people would follow to idolatry, to unrighteousness, and to injustice. And the Bible, the law, and the prophets thunder at God's people. When you disobey God in this way, there are consequences. If you keep disobeying God, judgment is coming for your sin and your wickedness. Because God's people ignored him, judgment came. First, 
for the nation of Israel. It was destroyed. And then secondly, judgment came to the nation of Judah because the Babylonians came and they invaded, they conquered, and they sent God's people into exile. Judgment is the end of this period of the kings. The period of the kings is constantly moving toward judgment. But Jesus represents a new beginning in history because no longer do we alone pay the price for our sin. Now Jesus is paying the price for our sin and we get atonement by Jesus Christ in place of judgment on our sin. Jesus is a new beginning of atonement in place of judgment. Then in the third chapter, we get restoration in place of exile. The third chapter is the chapter from the Babylonian exile to the birth of Jesus. And God's people wasted away in exile caused by the Babylonians for decades. And decades later, they were free to return to the promised land. They began to rebuild their towns. They rebuilt Jerusalem. They began to rebuild the temple. But the whole time, they were under domination by a foreign empire. The whole time, they were suffering. The whole time, they were persecuted. It felt like an ongoing exile. And then the prophets quit speaking. And for 400 years, the voice of God was silent. And people looked at it as a living exile. But then Jesus came into the world. And in place of God's silence and of a sense of being oppressed, there is now instead God coming into the world, God bringing his goodness into the world, and the voice of God speaking through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, Jesus brings a new beginning of restoration to us in place of our exile. And what does this all mean? It means that Jesus is consistently bringing a new beginning in history during each of these periods. In other words, in the pages of the Old Testament, it felt constantly as if history was coming unwound, if it was coming off of the rails, as if it was going and careening toward chaos. If that's how the people of the pages of the Bible felt, no wonder we feel that that is the case at times today. But what we read in the pages of the Bible is not that history was descending into chaos, but that God's plan was on track. We read not only that, but we discover from the perspective of history that God was working all along and God brought new beginnings all along the way. God was acting in history. And now that matters to where we are, because we feel at times, do we not, that history is still careening out of control, that it is descending into chaos and coming apart. 
And yet what we discover is that in Jesus, there is a new beginning for individuals. There is a new beginning for nations and societies as well because Jesus has come into the world and now there is something in place of evil. There is something in place of judgment and something in place of exile. Jesus brings us instead the possibility here and now of his righteousness of atonement with God, of a plan for creation, a restoration of our fellowship with God. Jesus brings a new beginning to individuals and nations in history. We discover in Matthew chapter one as well that Jesus brings a new beginning in life. Jesus brings a new beginning in his family history to an outsider like Ruth. It's kind of a surprise to find someone like Ruth in Jesus's family history because in the Old Testament, it's a surprise to find anyone who's not an Israelite, a Hebrew, or a Jew in the family history. But here we find Ruth. Ruth was from the nation of Moab. She was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile. And she married into a Hebrew family And when her Hebrew husband died, she made a choice. She chose to stay a part of the family, a part of Israel, a part of Israel's faith. And there is Ruth in Jesus's family history. And it's surprising to find her there. But we find other outsiders as well. Ruth is not the only one. And what does that say to us? It says that outsiders are welcome in Jesus's story. Outsiders are welcome in the kingdom of God through Jesus. It's not just outsiders. It's mixed bags. People who are a little this and a little that, like Solomon. Solomon is the son of King David who ruled in Jerusalem, the last king over the United Kingdom. And Solomon's reign started out so well. God gave him an opportunity to pray and ask for anything he wanted. And in 1 Kings, we read, whoop, it broke. Okay. 1 Kings 3, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon prayed to God for wisdom and it was very pleasing to God that he had done so. Solomon's reign started so well. But at the same time, Solomon loved wealth, and power, and women, and he chased those with reckless abandon all the rest of his life. And he allowed his foreign wives to bring their gods with them, to even bring their idols, and to continue worshiping them. And by the end of his life, Solomon was worshiping the idols of his wives. Solomon was a a mixed bag Solomon is not the only mixed bag in the family history of Jesus. There are others, and that says something very important to us because when it comes to mixed bags through Jesus, we are welcome in the kingdom of God and can have a new beginning. The same is said of profound sinners like Manasseh. 
Manasseh was one of the kings of Judah, the later king of Judah. Manasseh was a profound sinner. When Manasseh came to the throne of Judah, his father had wiped away many of the pagan idols in Judah. Manasseh brought them all back. In fact, Manasseh brought back the worship of the Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah. And on top of bringing back the worship of all these gods, he had altars installed in the temple in Jerusalem for many of them. He he participated in witchcraft and in the human sacrifice of his own sons to these pagan gods. Manasseh was profoundly, profoundly evil. Manasseh is not the only profoundly evil person in the family history of Jesus. And what we discover is that through Jesus, even profoundly evil people can receive a welcome into the kingdom of God. But the question is how? How is it possible that outsiders, mixed bags, and profoundly evil people can be welcome in the kingdom of God and in the family history of Jesus? And it is because they are there, but remember that Jesus' ancestors don't define him. Jesus redefines his ancestors. And Jesus redefines outsiders and mixed bags and profoundly sinful people and somehow says about them, about us, that we are welcome somehow in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, as he begins the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that outsiders, mixed bags, and profoundly sinful people are welcome through Jesus in the kingdom of God. He's saying that tryhards and mess-ups are welcome in the kingdom of God. He's saying that addicts and prisoners are welcome in the kingdom of God. He's saying that the broken, the brokenhearted, and those who break others are welcome in the kingdom of God because Jesus brings us all new beginnings. But what does this mean to us? It means that when you think that you are unsavable, Jesus can bring you a new beginning. Jesus can bring you a new beginning. Jesus can bring a new beginning to you and to me. Jesus brings us a new beginning of forgiveness. You see, we've all sinned. We've all disobeyed God profoundly. And our disobedience truly matters. We've broken everything. But Jesus brings a new beginning in salvation. And that's important because we have tried to save ourselves, and we, we can't. God is the one who must save us. God is the one who sends Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And because Jesus has paid the price for our sin, we can be forgiven. We need a new beginning of forgiveness. And if you say yes to Jesus, you can have a new beginning 
of forgiveness. Jesus brings us the new beginning of hope. That's what it means that Jesus brings new beginnings in history. And we need a new beginning of hope because just as it always looked in the Bible like history was coming unglued, history always feels like it's coming unglued now. Our lives feel like they are coming unglued now. And and we look around and we try to control it, we try to change it, we try to make it work, and it just doesn't. And at times we get worried and at times we are afraid. But, But the Bible tells us that Jesus has begun something called the kingdom of God. He's put it into history and it is is growing under the surface and is expanding and changing everything. And that's so important because when we get worried, it means that if we say yes to Jesus, we can have a new beginning of hope in our lives, and we need a new beginning of hope in our lives. And the Bible tells us that we can have a new beginning of eternal life as well. And that's what's so important about the fact that Jesus brings new beginnings to all these different kinds of people. He's saying that I'm offering you the gift of eternal life. That's what you need. And, And you can have it. You can have it if you're an outsider. You can have it if you're a mixed bag. You can have it if you're a profound sinner. You can have it. It is available to you in Jesus Christ. And eternal life is not just about what happens when we die or see Jesus face to face. Eternal life is something that starts right now as new life, meaning that if we will say yes to Jesus, we can have a new beginning of new life, new freedom, and eternal life unfolding in us if we say yes to Jesus. We get a new beginning. Jesus gave a new beginning to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was one of the most important and profound apologists, authors, theologians of the 20th century. Lewis grew up in a Christian home, started life understanding that there is a God who's good, who loves him in Jesus. And then when he was nine years old, His mother died of cancer, and it made him change his mind. He came to the conclusion about God, that if God would let his mother die, best, God was an abstract thought. At worst, cruel. When he became a teenager, he hardened his position. He became convinced there was no God. He became an atheist, and he became convinced instead that materialism is the right way to look at the world, that the world is nothing more than what we see and that we are nothing more than flesh and blood. Thankfully, he kept reading, writing, thinking, and listening. And over time, he began to wonder if materialism really did describe reality, if it might not be true that we are something more than flesh and blood, 
maybe there might be something more to reality than what we can see and describe. And when he was a young adult, he stood by and helped as someone he cared deeply about died a painful death. And in looking at that death, he became convinced that there is something more to us. And he began to understand that the pain that we feel in death reminds us that there is something more. There must be God. There must be God's plan. And beauty continued to call to him. And beauty continued to reveal to him that there is indeed something more, that God is out there. And as he continued to think about death, it was ironically death that spurred him to see the beauty of God and of God's plan. And ultimately, as he talked with friends, he became convinced that there was beauty in the story about how it was that God would leave heaven and come to earth, take on flesh, die in our place, and rise again. But the ultimate beauty he finally discovered is that the story about a dying and rising God is not just a story, it is true. And C.S. Lewis was surprised by beauty, by God, and by joy. And he submitted his life, became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And God gave C.S. Lewis a new beginning. So my question to you today is, will you take a new beginning in Jesus? Will you take a new beginning in Jesus again? To have a new beginning in Jesus, in some ways it's as simple as ABC. To get a new beginning in Jesus in prayer, we admit to God, A, that we have sinned, we've disobeyed him, we've broken ourselves, creation, and our relationship with him by our sin. A, we admit. It always has to begin there. But B, we believe in Jesus, that he is God's son, that he did come to earth, that he did die to pay the price for our sin, that he did rise again from the dead. And see, we choose. We choose to leave our sin with God, to walk away from it, to accept the offer of forgiveness that we've been given in Jesus Christ, and to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus for the rest of our lives and for eternity. If you're ready to say yes, to a new beginning in Jesus today, to a new beginning again. We're going to pray that prayer together. Would you bow your heads?
Precious Father, Lord God, in your presence today we admit a truth that we know deeply, that we have sinned, we've disobeyed you, we've rebelled against you. But God, we believe We believe that Jesus is your son, that he came to earth, that he lived, that he died to pay the price for our sin, that he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and evil. We believe. And so, God, we choose. We choose to leave our sin with you. We choose to walk away from our sin. We choose to accept your offer of forgiveness We choose to live for you for the rest of our lives. Lord God, we admit, we believe, we choose, and we say yes to a new beginning in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.